From WOUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Elise Hammond. And I'm Beth Greenman. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. This week, we have the details of how metal mines in Southeast Ohio may be affecting your water. Oh, I would not suggest drinking it right now. It's really high in iron. Um, There's some other, you know, there's a lot of other metals that are dissolved in it. And we have a look inside the life of a commercial model who also is an OU student. We'll give you all the details and more coming up right here on The Outlet. Acid mine drainage is the result of an outflow of acidic water from metal mines. It affects more than 13,000 miles of stream in southeast Ohio. A team of water engineers, activists, and artists have found a solution for this big environmental issue. Outlet reporter Lauren Ramoser has the story. The water off Sunday Creek flows through a surreal orange landscape as it makes its way through the small town of Corning, Ohio. The rust-stained land looks beautiful at first sight, but it is the result of a harmful process, according to Michelle Shively, who's the watershed coordinator at Rural Action. Acid mine drainage has two main issues with water quality. One is the pH. It's generally acidic, so it's below 7. The pH here isn't so terrible, but the biggest issue at Corning is the amount of iron that's in the water. With a pH that high, this water isn't safe for aquatic life or humans. Oh, I would not suggest drinking it right now. It's really high in iron. Um, There's some other, you know, there's a lot of other metals that are dissolved in it. Some of the old timers tell me that they've been drinking water out of Sunday Creek for years and years. And it, it, you know, look at me, I'm fine. But, um, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend drinking the water. Shively has teamed up with Dr. Guy Riefler, a water engineering professor at Ohio University. The two, along with artist John Sabra, came up with a possible solution to the iron problem. They want to filter the iron out of the water before it hits the stream and produce iron-based paint out of it. The idea isn't new, but finding a way to commercialize it is. The company Gamblin Artist Colors in Portland, Oregon, just started making paint out of the iron pigments from Sunday Creek. To get different shades, the natural orange can be darkened by burning the dried iron pigment, as artist John Sabra says. Yeah, I like the violet. I mean, I think the violet that we made is insane. We didn't expect it. We're just, Guy and I are just looking at each other, we're like, what? Here's the thing that I love about it, is that the violet is absolutely, perfectly the color of faraway hills. So. Like, it's sort of a magic paint. Instead of mixing, like, a blue and a red and a bunch of other things, you have, like, a tube that's, like, we should just call the color faraway hills. In order to transform the harmful iron deposits into vibrant paint, water engineers use three big tanks and simply chemistry. They neutralize the water by adding a base to reach the pH and oxidize the water afterwards. Then, the ferrous iron converts to ferric iron and settles at the bottom. Master student John Timmons is satisfied with how the project is developing. I can be happier. This project has been absolutely amazing. Um, a lot of the times with uh, engineering projects, I felt like there was always some little aspect that you know I, I wasn't completely happy with. But with this project, I can actually feel like I can go to sleep at night knowing that you know I, I did something that I believe is you know, 
beneficial to not just me, but the people or the plants and animal life that can now survive in the stream. The team broke ground for the pilot project in mid-December by building three big tanks. These tanks filter the water and save up the iron sludge. The first paint tubes will be released on March 1st. If cells of this special iron paint go well, the profit could pay off for the treatment tanks to clean the water stream in the long term. And this could mean an improvement for aquatic life and humans in southeast Ohio or even elsewhere. For The Outlet, I'm Lauren Ramoser. February 8th marks the start of New York Fashion Week, where different designers and their work are showcased. Reporter Maddie Young got the inside scoop on a model's experience during this crazy week and how she balances school with modeling. So call it if you can. Come on down. So I'm gonna have Blinding lights, blasting music, and flashing cameras are all part of Carly Norris's regular office job. She is a brand ambassador and a commercial model for multiple companies. Though it sounds like Carly would live somewhere like New York or L.A., she actually spends most of her time in Athens, where she's a student at Ohio University. Modeling was a career Carly had never thought about. Her mother set her up with an agent when she was in high school. She wasn't necessarily interested in modeling at the time, but she went along with it. Modeling taught her valuable skills she could use both on and off the runway knowing and meeting all these people going into castings it's kind of like a job interview obviously so you just realize that being yourself and not just your looks will get you the job you know it's everything all together so i think that's really important and it's kind of like it's just like everything as a whole that kind of like made me because i used to be really shy like in high school i barely said any words ever and now i'm like super outgoing and that kind of helped me do that. New York Fashion Week is something that most models in the industry aspire to be a part of. Carly hadn't really thought about auditioning for the iconic event, but when her mom found castings for New York Fashion Week, she knew that was her chance. Carly auditioned in New York City, and in February of 2016, she became an international model. She walked in nine shows over the course of the week. You couldn't move. I mean, every single model would be in one room getting hair and makeup done like you could barely breathe and to me like that's just I don't know it's just kind of really it's something that I'll just like always remember and another thing is the first time I ever went out on stage I mean I told you I was really shy in high school barely talked but then the first time I went out on stage with like 500 people in the crowd I didn't have one single nerve. Having seen what happens behind the curtain is what led Carly to realize what she wanted to study in college. I am studying retail merchandising big surprise um, I like it a lot because I can use my knowledge already to my advantage, you know, where I kind of know buyers, you know, buyers show up after a show. I know what happens backstage. I mean, even if I am not a model, even if I don't pursue this, I know what goes on backstage. I know how, like, all of that works, and I use that to my advantage. Carly has gotten involved in modeling on a smaller scale while she attends OU. She's a brand ambassador for a Columbus clothing company called Yuna. She travels to Columbus during some weekends for commercial shoots. Though Carly has gotten an early jump on her career, she's like any other student in many ways. She loves hanging out with friends and occasionally splurging on Deepido. She just happens to have walked in one of the most famous fashion events in the country.
For The Outlet, I'm Maddie Young. Many parents in the country often face a difficult choice of whether they will go back to work or spend time with their new children right after they're born. For a while, graduate student employees at Ohio University had to make that choice. But now a new policy is changing that. With more on the story, here's the outlet's Beth Greenman. Four weeks after the arrival of his new child, Elliot Long, who is a graduate student employee at Ohio University, had to go back to work. It just created a... a Difficult situation, particularly for my partner, who was left with our child. The baby was temperamental. He was just transitioning from nursing to bottle feeding, per professional recommendations, and the adjustment was challenging. Additionally, Elliot was still healing from the birth, as he was the one who had carried the child. So, having more time off would have been a welcome relief for the family. Even if we just had an extra two weeks at the beginning of the fall semester in order to get used to a bottle in order to um, give myself more time to heal would have helped us tremendously. It wouldn't have left us feeling so like frantic and rushed in order to just try to like get back in the classroom and back, back to teaching. Now, because of the new paid parental leave policy at Ohio University, people like Elliot hopefully won't have to go through something like that again. Graduate Student Senate President Maria Madeo made sure to emphasize the importance of parental leave reform while running for office for 2017. She was on the policy subcommittee within Graduate Council. We came together and um, discussed the policy and how we wanted to see it uh, here at Ohio University. Uh, we compared um, the staff and faculty fo- policy around parental leave um, and uh, cr- crafted something that was comparable yet competitive for graduate students. The new program will allow the birth mother or primary caregiver to take up to six weeks of paid parental leave off. The secondary caregiver will be able to take up to three weeks off. Elliot is the co-president of OU's graduate employee organization, which brought this issue to the dean of the graduate college, Joseph Shields, in mid-September. As someone who is personally affected by the lack of policy in place, he was particularly invested in the creation of this program. Now that this policy is in place, it provides students with um, enough flexibility so it guarantees they can keep their programs, they don't lose their pay, they don't lose their health insurance, um, and gives new parents a few weeks to adjust to a new life, to heal from childbirth um, before going back to teaching responsibilities and coursework. The change in policy will likely make OU more competitive in recruiting potential grad students. It will also make the university more inclusive of different kinds of students with different needs. Keeping in mind that graduate students wouldn't have to uh, choose between education or starting a family. Um, A lot of times graduate students are in their late 20s or early 30s um, and if they are in a doctoral program it's a number of years um, and putting something like you know, starting a family on hold for a number of years is uh, probably not um, ideal for a lot of families. Historically, there's been no plan in place for graduate student employees who have children. The topic has been an issue for 10 to 15 years in graduate student senate. A large part of why it took so long to form a new plan was because of how the university wanted to define graduate student employees. A lot of times when these policies have come up, it is that, like, that fudge fudging of the lines of like, do we consider them primarily uh, faculty or staff by giving these benefits? Or um, do we consider them students as giving these benefits? And um, I think there has been fear within um, 
many circles of like how do we best do this so that we are protecting all parties involved. Elliot's child is now two years old. Had he been able to take paid parental leave back in 2015, he says it would have eased a lot of the difficulty he and his partner faced as new parents. Now that parents had the option, graduate student employees will likely feel more at ease when a new child arrives. For The Outlet, I'm Beth Greenman. Graduate playwriting students have an unusual Friday night when compared to many other Bobcats. Abby Grise has more on these late-night performances. About 30 people are inside the Kantner Hall lobby. Some are standing, some are sitting, most are on their phones. This is what most Friday nights are like here. People sitting, waiting for tickets to be passed out at 10 p.m. Uh, we're going to give out the tickets in about one minute or so. If you could make a line in the order in which you got here. So people that have been waiting the longest, please let them forward. If you just got Once here, people get their tickets, they have to wait for another hour. Then finally, at 10.55, the group is let into the Han Theater. Hi! Welcome to This is Midnight Madness. So it's a class that all the playwrights have to take every semester. Um, and basically... We meet Monday at noon, and on that Monday, we get a prompt. And then by Friday at 11 p.m., every playwright has to have written, cast, directed, and teched a five-minute play that'll be performed um, in front of an audience. That's Jordan Puckett. She's a graduate playwriting student at Ohio University. This week's theme is Animal Madness. Like, I, I immediately knew I wanted to write about snakes. <laughs> and so I just, um, I started writing uh, a monologue for a woman who loved snakes. And then I was like, oh, this is really boring if it's a monologue, if it's just one person talking. Oh, I bet this would make a really interesting conversation. Hmm, where would this conversation be interesting? Oh, you know what would be great is if she starts talking about how much she loves snakes on her first date. And so, like, what happens then if we, like, see her um, sort of be obsessed um, in a first date situation. Like, could that be funny? Oh, I think that would be funny. Um, and so then I just ended up... Otherwise, it could be very dangerous for the snake and the surrounding ecosystem. Why snakes? I've always felt, I don't know how to say it, except a certain bond with my subjects. I'd much rather this quick process offers playwrights the chance to use their instincts when it comes to writing. They don't have time for workshopping or rewrites. The play just has to get finished. Professor of theater and playwriting Charles Smith is the mastermind behind Madness. He started the program 17 years ago. Well, I wanted to give, develop something so that the playwrights had an opportunity to work with actors on a regular basis and uh, to make sure they were writing on a weekly basis and to make sure they were being produced on a weekly basis, that they had an opportunity to write something and put it before an audience instead of sitting in a classroom and dissecting the writing and guessing how well it would work in performance. They would get to see firsthand on a weekly basis how the work operates in performance. They say the definition of insanity is doing something over and over again. It's not called Midnight Madness for nothing. Because it is a new week, and these playwrights are getting a new prompt and starting the process all over again. For The Outlet, I'm Abby Grise. 
The Outlet is co-produced and hosted this week by me, Beth Greenman, and Elise Heymond. We're edited by Atish Baidia, Susan Tebbin, and Allison Hunter. Adam Rich is our technical assistant. Our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos, and Dalton Pritt mixes our show. Subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud and iTunes, or find us online at woub.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Outlet underscore WOUB. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. Thanks for listening.